Welcome to the Mental Health Bootcamp Podcast! Bonjour! Bonjour, everybody! Yes, we oui, oui. This is a podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I am Monsieur Ryan House from Pasadena, <laughs> California. And I am Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the Vancouver, Canada area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. And I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from the greater Vancouver area. Welcome, everybody. And, oh, yeah. and, and my brother. also a brother, right. That's right. Got to make the family connection there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, that filter is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I was horsing around with the, uh, the zoom filter and, uh, and I've kind of got myself in a, in a French getup with a, a beret and a goatee and, uh, lipstick. So, and I'm, some eyebrows and some eyebrows. I'm not quite sure how to turn it off. So we're going to have to do our podcast this way. That's okay. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, gosh. So um, so before we get started. Somebody had brought this up to me, American-Canadian difference. I know that there's a lot of how we pronounce words differently, and I didn't sure. know this one. So I'm going to post a word in the chat. It'll pop up for your Zooms. Mm -hmm. And then, Joanna, can you pronounce the word for me? Can you sure. say the word out loud? And then, Ryan, yeah. can you say how you would say it after? Okay. It's fine. I don't want to overthink this. Foyer. Uh, foyer as well. Oh, yes. really? Yeah. yeah. Some, somebody else was like, no, Americans call it a foyer. I've heard that. I've heard that a lot. But uh, but I lean foyer. Oh. Yeah, he is French today, you know. So. That is true. <laughs> I was like, it's actually quite fitting that you were wearing the beret. It was, yes. That's interesting. Yeah. No? Well, there we are. That was yeah. all I got. I've, yeah, certainly. I've heard... Yeah, I've heard people say foyer before, but foyer. I just never really quite I was like, what? strikes correctly for what me. Is that? A foyer? I think it was actually in a show and they had mentioned the foyer. I was like, what? <laughs> What's that? What's happening there? What is that? Is it a French word? The foyer? Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know either. So yes. I need to report back on something. And that is a discount code for our mental health bootcamp program. Oh, oh good job, yes. Chris. Thanks for remembering. So we have two active codes right now. One is for 10% off. Hooray 2018. Forget that one because I got one better for you. 20% off. All one word. Time for growth. Time so for 20 growth. 20 off. Time for growth. All lowercase. Does I think it, it doesn't matter when you put it in there. It's all, um, but it's all like one word per case, I think. But okay. um, so on the sign up page, there's a, a spot there for a code, and that's where you put it in. So, great to all our listeners out there, give the program a go. And Wonderful. I'm not sure if anyone knows this, but um, there's a clause if you do it for five days and decide it's not for you, which is totally okay, we'll give you a discount. Wait, a discount or a refund? Refund. Oh refund. Sorry. I was like, the refund, they were staring at me. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> Just the yes. silence, we're all like, oh. I think he got it wrong, but he normally doesn't get it wrong. What, what's happening? I'll give you a <laughs> refund. Okay, so what's the code again? Just for people who are grabbing a pencil to write it down. Time for growth. No spaces. Is 20% off. The word for, not the number four, right? Yes. Yeah. The word for, got it. Time for growth. All right. 20% off. That's a great deal. That's great. Good job for remembering. I, I know. Totally I didn't. Boop. Gone. Spaced out. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered uh, about seven minutes ago, I texted Sergey, and luckily uh, he was on the ball. Oh, good old Sergey. Sergey is our IT guy, for those who don't know Sergey, and he's a gem. We should just have Sergey on for a chat one day, just to have Sergey on for a chat. Man. Oh man! He could tell us some stories. We'll have some mushrooms and cheese. 
That'll be great. <laughs> Mushrooms and cheese. Is that the Some snack? Of favorite. Okay. Yeah, Sergey's a delight. He's a he's a blast and great storyteller. Yeah. Have him on. Well, cool. Um, so we were talking a little bit before about uh, you know since we're all psychotherapists that sometimes we can kind of feel sort of a, uh, a general trend kind of a vibe in the, in the clients or in kind of from week to week. And uh, you guys were talking about how, how up there in Vancouver, up there in the Tish, it's, uh, it's felt a little bleak these days, felt a little rougher, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or that, that's definitely what I'm noticing. So um, I feel like it, kind of came in waves in November. There was like a, a bit of a down. Um, so our restrictions days. kind of got worse. Yeah, right? our restrictions they, yeah. got worse got and time change. Yeah. And it coincided and there was a few weeks that were pretty tough and then January, but this past week, ooh, yeah, there's been a lot of despair and hopelessness and um, people are just really struggling and fatigued of our restrictions and no sign of lightening them up. Um, so right now we're household only. You're not allowed mm. to see anyone outside of your household. Um, you still go to restaurants or whatnot, but only with persons in your house. Unless you're uh, a single person or a person living alone, then you're allowed to pick one or two people that you would consider your household. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, just people seem to really be struggling. Even the people that have been trying to hold on hope. You know? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know that it's been, uh, the vaccine rollout's been a little difficult up there, hasn't it? Yep. Yep. It has been. Yeah. Yes, at least. It's a bit slower to get out compared to a lot of countries. So I think that's kind of been a tough, there's this hope of vaccine and then it's just kept getting delayed a little bit and getting out pretty slow. So I think that affected people's, the morale a little bit, but I think it's going to start to pick up a bit here. So hopefully that'll help give people a boost in more ways than one. Are so. people generally pretty compliant with the, with the regulations or the, the guidelines up there? Or do people kind of uh, rebel or how does that work for you guys? I think there's a mix. I don't know what you, Chris and Brooke would say, but you know, I think there's a reason why our, we had more restrictions kind of there. Um, in November and uh, our cases were kind of going up. And so I think we used to be able to hang outside and whatnot, but I think there's people gathering in bigger groups and people out, yeah. And that kind of spiked numbers and things. So mm -hmm. seems to be yeah, a mix. I'm not, sure, yeah, I'm not sure what the rest of the country is doing for restrictions, but yeah, lately it seems that people are becoming a little demoralized and starting to kind of uh, maybe go against restrictions or <clears throat> so push boundaries yeah yeah push those boundaries a bit uh, just my impression though yeah mm. i think february is usually a pretty tough month up here in uh bc um it's pretty dark and we get a ton of rain so a lot of the other uh, areas in canada it's usually cold and um sunny um when it's not snowing of course whereas here is a little more darker and gloomy so that seems to be a factor but i agree with you brooke it seems like uh, a lot of clients past clients are popping up wanting uh to check in and have a session so last couple of weeks especially have been pretty pretty difficult yeah for, for the clients yeah yes well sorry to hear that guys i know you have long winters up there i'm sure all these different factors kind of come into play don't they yeah, I sure do. And then Ryan, you were saying it's a little bit the opposite down in California or what you've noticed, glimmers of hope. I, I have seen some glimmers of hope from, from some people. Uh, our restrictions are going the other way. They're, they're uh, starting to open up a few more things here. Some dining options are opening up and uh, there's talk about schools opening up again. So it's, I've just, uh, you know, kind of the general buzz around has, has been, a little more optimism, a little more hope. We've also had sunny, sunny days the last couple of weeks. I think that lifts people's spirits a bit. And as the days start to get a little longer, that, uh, that also makes a difference. So yeah, a lot of different factors involved there, but 
Uh, hope some of that can be sent north soon. We'll take it. You'll take it. Zip it up. Express post. There we go. Faster than a text message. <laughs> we'll get it up there. All right. Well, speaking of text messages, someone is going to ambush this podcast with a question or comment or something that uh, will be the topic of the evening. So tonight, I believe it's Brooke. Is it? Yes, you silly goose, it is. Yes, (laughs) yes, Turkey, it's you. Um, So Brooke knows what the topic is. The three of us do not know. We have to kind of act fast to know what we're gonna, how we're gonna respond, which is kind of like in a therapy session. We never know what's gonna happen. So, all right, if you're ready, Brooke, I am. I'm gonna send it down to you. Send it south. Yes. I hit the button. All right. Oh. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Shouldn't be a surprise. I love those initial reactions. Ooh. Until so much. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Or, oh. <laughs> the not so. That was my last one. <laughs> yeah, that was la- Brooke's last <laughs> one. <laughs> oh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this has to, except there's a word here I don't understand, so we're gonna have to talk through that. So it's uh, self-destructive behavior. There's like a U in that word. I don't, I don't know that word. Self-destructive behavior. I'm sorry, just the Canadian spelling. Self-destructive it's behavior. Now. Yes, exactly. What is it? Why do people do it? What can you do to reduce it? Self-destructive behaviors. Oh, is the topic of the evening. Let's dive in, everybody. Can we first have a bit of a definition of what would be considered self-destructive behavior? Because I feel like there could be a wide variety of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly could. I think it's a pretty wide net that, uh, it is. that is cast here. So what do you guys think? Well, they're the obvious. We'll start with the obvious stuff, right? If someone is is doing themselves some kind of obvious physical harm, like cutting, or burning, burning is another, or punching themselves, or uh, excessive drug or alcohol use would be considered self-destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes eating disorders kind of get put in there at times. Yes, sure. That's somewhat self-destructive. Would you would you call risk like high risk behaviors? I was also? just gonna ask that. Yeah, I wondered. Also self-destructive. Some people maybe will act out sexually, you know, and have a bunch of random sexual partners, which may or may not actually cause them physical harm, but it has mm-hmm. the potential. Um, or just things like, you know, driving way too fast down the road, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think anything that causes potential harm, I guess, or actual harm, um, would probably be considered self-destructive, I guess. Okay. Well, and then there's, <clears throat> but there's, there's gotta be a, uh, another piece to this, right? Like firefighters are, often in harm's way or putting themselves in harm's way, but we wouldn't call them self-destructive, right? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. So there's gotta be a volitional piece to this, a part where it's like, I'm, I have an intent to put myself at risk or actually do myself some harm mm-hmm. for some reason. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where it gets, gets interesting too. It's like, well, why, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. But I also think on the other flip side, some people find themselves turning to self-destructive behaviors and it might get to a point where it might not be, feel so um, like a choice every time it might become a habit or it might be a hard habit to get out of. So I think there, you know, um, that has to be considered as well. If you get into certain eating habits or if you might self-harm in terms of cutting or something in some way you might just depend on that a bit or you know that could be a variety of things but yeah it almost becomes compulsive or ritualistic in some way 
yeah. sometimes paired with dissociation, not always. Okay. You cut well, out gotta, a little there. So dissociation or did that? Sometimes yeah. paired yeah. with it a little bit sometimes. All right. We got to unpack some of those terms because those are, that's some juicy stuff there. Ritualistic. You mean that there's an actual, like a time of day or a, a method of process that someone would go through? Go through. Yeah, absolutely. So without it becoming like a trigger warning, um, you know, I feel like this episode might actually need to have a trigger I think, warning. I think so a little bit, for, yeah. For people, but um, so I won't go into details, specific, specific details of rituals, but um, yeah, often similar, potentially similar uh, rooms or um, objects or um if it's drugs or alcohol, the similar, uh, the same drug or the same type of alcohol. If it's self-harming behavior, it might be the same item used. Um, mm. Yeah, it might be for for body oriented, the same area of the body, and so it becomes a, a ritualized behavior. Mm. I see. Okay. So I guess we're getting, I guess we've got kind of a definition going here where we're talking about um, self-destructive or self, yeah, self-destructive behavior being uh, any acts that someone performs that either puts themselves at high risk or actually does cause physical harm to a person. Um, and there's in, like an intent there. There's a, uh, uh, someone wants, to, on some level, they're wanting that to happen. They're causing that to happen. Injury may, to self. Injury to self. It may be. It may be habituated. It may be um, kind of on autopilot. But at least at some point, there was a, a choice being made, perhaps. Uh, how about things that are not physical? Like, you know, a lot of times people will beat themselves up. You know. Hold on, just one sec. Sorry, got some noise going on here. Let's discuss among yourselves. Okay. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I think there's Ryan, Ryan, one of Ryan's kids there. I think was uh, knocking on really his attention. Oh, I was I see. looking around. I thought I know. one of my dogs scratching. Yeah. Like, you know, and then it like thuds when they scratch their tummy, it thuds the ground. I, I was like, what is happening to Panda right now? Why is she in distress? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what, what was he saying? I think he was about to, I think he was talking about maybe non-physical stuff. Oh, yeah. No? I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, one question that popped into my mind is why? Why do people engage in these self-destructive behaviors? Yeah. So um, typically people are, are engaging these in these behaviors for like a variety of reasons. The top yeah. reason being predominantly to manage negative emotion. Yeah. Um, but some of the other popular reasons are like, uh, we're talking about reasons why people self-insure because we forgot what your question was before you left. Um, okay. Is everything okay there, Ryan? Yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine. Um, one of my kids was hanging up a poster in the other room and knocking on the oh. wall. <laughs> The mysterious thumping noise. Well, I think it's been solved. All good. It was really funny. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so reasons people engage in self-destructive behavior. Top reason is managing negative emotion, but there are other reasons um, people do that. So, common ones sometimes are self-punishment, um, or honestly, numbness is a really mm -hmm. popular one. Feeling numb, and so just wanting to feel something. And then the physical pain triages or it gets that nervous system back on, right? So we're talking a polyvagal system, which is part of our nervous system. If it goes in a dorsal vagal shutdown, we experience disconnection and numbness. And these are fancy words, but essentially your nervous system goes through nervousness and then it doesn't get what it wants. So it just kind of shuts, up, shuts down or retreats. Um, and you can feel disconnected and numb and often injury to self, people feel that it helps that. I see. Okay. Yes. So there's, uh, there's a stimulation that happens it, it either you're saying it kind of, um, if it's, if it's something that's 
intending like a punishment, a self-punishment. That's like, this is my, my penance. This is my, what I, what I deserve. I deserve this pain. Right. Other people are trying to stimulate to try to feel something like you said, or maybe not. uh, They feel like something's off or they're, they're feeling numb. And so they want to feel something, even if it's pain, it's better than nothing. Yeah. And other people it's extreme emotion whatever that like heightened anxiety or anger or something and then through this is more geared towards like self-injurious behavior towards the self um then that behavior reduces they feel in that moment reduces those emotions so why would it reduce that is it just the release of chemicals or mm-hmm. natural endorphins or what, what, what would be going on there well it's also like your body's going to triage so it centralizes right. so, that pain a bit. Maybe. Yeah, it centralizes the pain. And then now we have a physical injury that the brain has to focus on. So it's going to shut down the anxiety and the worry of whatever the heck, the fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your parent or your upcoming school stress or worrying about if what you said earlier made you sound funny or feelings of embarrassment or shame or guilt, like all those thoughts. If there's self-injury, then the brain has to pay attention to that injury. When you're saying the body has to triage, are you saying that like your body will respond with some sort of a soothing or healing sort of mechanism that uh, is applied to both physical and emotional pain then? No. Okay. I'm saying it's going to triage where it has to put the focus. Okay. If you're in a state of heightened anxiety and then, um, there's an injury that happens, whether you've done that to yourself or if you were actually experienced an injury, your brain's not, and it's not going to be worrying about the fight that you had with okay. whatever that stress was. It's going to focus all of its effort on uh, okay. healing the body uh, or that injury and making sure that you stay alive, right? Okay. So it's truly, yes, a triage, like a medical triage where we need to go with the most serious injury or illness first. And so we're going to focus our energy on the, this physical pain and uh, kind of push the emotional pain aside for now. Yeah. But that's very short lived. And then whatever was the issue in the first place isn't getting dealt with. So then that resurfaces and you're just kind of cutting off this emotional processing. um, So that emotion ends up getting bigger and then we're just in a hot mess. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The question that I was stumbling through before I was, interrupted by a poster in the other room uh, was can self-destructive behavior also include things that are not physical, including um, just making bad choices or um, uh, self-talk, you know, negative self-talk, really calling yourself a bunch of names, um, call yourself a loser, that sort of thing, or like putting yourself, you know, going ahead and dating this person that you know is going to be horrible for you. Could that be uh, self-destructive behavior too? Maybe. I feel like those are two different things. Yeah, I I, do too. I think like when I think of someone dealing with negative self-talk, I don't know. I've never talked about it as self-destructive behavior. Like it is obviously causing them. It's difficult, but I, I don't think I put it in that same category. Yeah. It's also not a behavior, like at the sheer essence of it. It's a thought. Yeah. 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 Like if you look at a traditional CBT, there's often a situation and automatic thought and there's a sensation of feeling then there's a behavior, right? So yeah, it could start off as an automatic thought or a negative thought and, and could be associated with a bunch of, um, you know, um, intensive emotions. And then, and then there's a choice there to maybe go down that self-destructive route. Got it. Okay. Good to clarify. We are on the, on the behavior level where it's, uh, we've gone far beyond just the thoughts and getting into actual actions that people are taking, right? And I find a lot with my self-destructive clients that um, at that point, they're not even aware of the thoughts. If you were to try and break that down and get them to explore what the thought patterns were before engaging that behavior, what was running through your mind before, they'll say, I don't know. But also in that moment, whether or not they're in a state of dissociation, which we talked about in a previous episode, dissociation. We did. Episode 24, to be exact, dissociation, zone out, or daydream. Please go revisit that one if you'd like. 
<laughs> so, okay. So let's talk about the, the, that connection though. It's kind of, I'm kind of curious about that. Like a dissociative place where someone is, is it, what, what's the chicken and egg here? What comes first, the dissociation or the self-destructive behavior? I don't, someone... think, I don't think it always happens before. I don't think yeah. it's, um, I think it's just in some situations. So I don't, um, yeah. And I think that would be a tough thing to answer. I feel like mm -hmm. people might go into a state where they're just, yeah, um, not even thinking anymore and, and doing this behavior or the behavior might maybe put them into that state of kind of zoning out or dissociating. So I, I think that's a tough question to answer for. for I'm me. curious. So yeah, I wonder if the dissociation would come first and then the self-destructive behavior maybe ground you a bit, um, perhaps. But good question. I'm sure it's, uh, yeah. I'm sure it's case by case, but uh, it's just yeah. an interesting yeah, idea. I don't think always. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well. So we've got, I guess, I guess, a clear idea of why people do it. What, I guess, there's, I guess, another idea is like, you know, there, there, are, if someone's experienced trauma, it manifests in many different ways. It can manifest in many different ways. Not everyone who has experienced trauma uh, does self harm or or self injurious behavior or um, has flashbacks. I mean, just these, it all manifests differently, right? Why do you think, do you think there's any sort of rhyme or reason as to why someone might go to self-destructive behaviors uh, and others don't? No? You know, that's really interesting because Lisa Ferenc, mm -hmm. whom if Lisa Ferenc is listening, we really like your work and keep going, please. Um, she talks about metacognition or sorry, the metacommunication of the behavior, not metacognition, metacommunication. So looking at is the behavior itself in some ways reenacting the narrative of the trauma. Can you give an example? Mm, okay, so this is trigger warning. <laughs> trigger warning for persons with eating disorders, more specifically binge eating disorder. If you struggle from that, maybe mute or make sure you have a support person around should you feel uncomfortable. Um, but for example, binge eating disorder, when we look at it is forcing something down your throat that you don't want to be there. Is there a traumatic connection to that potentially? Is, would that be telling to a potential trauma history and type of trauma history that that mm -hmm. person has? or where the person is, if it's uh, self-injurious behavior, so cutting or burning. If you look at the areas that they are cutting or burning, is that indicative of, not saying it always is, but yeah. that's an area of curiosity for uh, um, a clinician to gently just be aware of should something come up, right? So if there is cutting, trigger warning for persons who have trauma histories and we'll just have a blanket trigger warning for this whole episode <laughs> this all right we don't have to keep but, saying it we'll yeah, just yeah. trigger uh, warning everybody yeah so <laughs> if it were like inner thighs that are being injured like is there there's a reason why somebody would be cutting there we want to take a look at that it could just be because nobody's going to see it and it's a private area or it could potentially so something to keep in mind but not necessarily it's not always connected everyone who yeah might not be the case for everyone but something for yeah clinicians to keep in mind for sure yeah yeah sure someone who's experienced physical trauma as a child uh you know some developmental stage and they're under distress uh as an adult and they like there's it just makes sense there's kind of a pairing there of oh this is painful this reminds me of this physical trauma maybe i went through and maybe maybe i can find relief through that or something yeah. right yeah. very subconscious right mm -hmm. i have a i have a client i saw a while ago and um he experienced some really intensive abuse um sexual abuse actually as a child and um and really internalized it and felt that he was worthless and somehow he had caused this to happen and eventually um built up the courage to tell his caregivers about it and um and they downplayed it and they kind of 
laughed it off kind of thing. And he felt very broken after that. He felt that, okay, well, maybe it is me. Maybe it is something that uh, I brought on myself or something that I've done. So I think when it comes to trauma, um, there's so much to it. Like it's often how the individual interprets it and perceives it um, as well as the, um, whether it's something that they hold with them and, or, or do they have an opportunity to process it and talk about it? And do they have a supportive network there or able to work through it in, in therapy, for instance, right? So I would imagine, I, and I obviously I can't, I don't know this for certain, of course, but um, if someone can't, doesn't have those outlets, it doesn't have those supports and keeps it in, then I think it can manifest itself in so many awful ways, right? Like that self-hate. Um, mm -hmm. So this client would, yeah, had some pretty intensive stories about how much he hated himself and looking in the mirror and, and shouting things. And But there was some self-harm going on there too. So um, yeah, so very, very complex, obviously trauma and how it impacts people. But but there is a connection there, isn't there? Um, for, for, some, for some people who are engaging in self-destructive behavior, sometimes there's trauma that stems back in, in their history. I think it, and I think also there are some situations too, and I find with some young people um, with different pressures and such, like there could be some eating habits that uh, start that way. And also, you know, some trends out there kind of, if some kids are having hard times, they might be like, oh, I hear so-and-so is doing this to get through stuff and they might try stuff and then might, you know, um, create this kind of go-to uh, way of copycat coping. thing yeah yeah or a way of coping or oh i want to try that for myself and then that's something they do so um yeah i just wondered that there's different reasons why people might yeah. go into mm -hmm. these behaviors i'm kind of curious though like in some circumstances does the individual see it as self-destructive or do they see it as something that's helpful for them because mm, on the outside looking in you say that seems like self-destructive behavior but for themselves they say well there's benefits to that. And well, let's like talk about so and so. Yeah. 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 Well, we could talk about the whole idea of orthorexia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of extreme uh, consciousness about fitness, nutrition, all of that sort of thing that can could be problematic. I guess that could count, couldn't it, Brooke, as a uh, self-destructive behavior? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because ultimately it's injury to the self, right? If you're cutting out uh, large groups, food groups, um, without a dietary or medical reason in doing so. And so, yeah, orthorexia is a preoccupation and almost to the point of an obsession around eating foods that are like pure, essentially um, mm -hmm. healthy, not junky or whatever we want to call it. Um, yeah, but in, in doing that, um, your body might actually be missing out on things that it needs. Yeah. Ah. Right. So, but also like Chris is saying, I think that a lot of clients do like that one's a little bit more clear how people would think I'm doing something good. How could this be bad? Um, but I think with e other eating disorders, so if they are restricting their food intake and getting thinner, but people are now giving them positive feedback that they're looking good, then they're going to feel like they're doing something good. Um, or even drugs and alcohol, especially when you start drugs and alcohol and you're like, well, I don't see it as self-destructive because now I have more friends and I have mm -hmm. a thriving social life. So what are you talking about? Yeah. And it really does numb feelings, right? Yeah. Um, it gives people relief. Of course, it causes a, a lot of damage to the brain and body and there's a lot of detrimental impacts to it. But in that moment, people say, yeah, it's, it numbs everything, right? They feel normal for a little bit of time. Well, and that's when I, when I was first learning about addictive behaviors and things, you know, a professor of mine said, you know, the real problem with addictions is that they work. <laughs> they, they are effective. They actually work temporarily. You know, yes, it will numb out the emotions, but the, uh, the longer term impact uh, can be, uh, of course, very detrimental for, for many folks. So even in the case of extreme health consciousness, uh, it, you know, there could be some over, oversights there. It could be some, some people overlooking some some other areas of their life that maybe are being neglected. And not just nutritional, but maybe it's your your life is so out of whack, out of balance that, you know, you're spending 
10 hours at the gym and you're not uh, not working or, or spending time with friends or family, that sort of thing, right? Kind of that obsessional component to that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you become rigid and yeah, just kind of more obsessed with it must be done this way. And yeah. um, I need to follow that rule. So if you go to a friend's birthday and you don't order anything from the restaurant and you refuse a piece of cake, we probably want to take a look at that that's a normal social engagement to be in. So what's, what's really going on there? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So shall we get to what can be done about it? What I'm curious. Yeah. Heavy guys, topic. It is a heavy topic. When I wrote it out, I'm like, beep, 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 beep. This is good. <laughs> it is heavy. I, I work with self-destructive behavior so often. So for me, I'm like, yep. Yeah, this is my week. There you go. Yeah, and I, Joe I kinda... too, I think. Yeah, definitely shows up a lot in my clients. Yeah, heavy stuff though, for sure. So, okay, if if uh, Lisa Ferenc is out there and ready to ambush us, we're ready for her. Come on. She's late. <laughs> Where is I she? I invited her, but you know she had other plans. This uh, Plus, I, I think she lives on the East Coast, right? So wouldn't it be like one in the morning? <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty late for her. Yeah. You'll know okay. a Lisa ambush if I'm like, hey guys, can we meet at 9 a.m.? All <laughs> <laughs> right. So yes. So what what are sort of uh, some some general treatment approaches that people take? I mean, whether in therapy or or maybe for people who are listening and recognizing, oh wow, I guess I have some some self-destructive behaviors of my own and I'm not in therapy, but I'd like to do something about it. What, uh, what might we be able to suggest or, or we point them in the right direction? I think the, uh, the stages of change kind of pop into my mind. Um, so kind of meeting the client where they're at, because as we were just talking about, sometimes clients are kind of pre-contemplative in terms of seeing this as problematic. Um, so your approach would be very different in that circumstance versus someone who really wants to, to stop these behaviors, right? So let's go back up here. Stages of change is this, is it kind of a model of, of how we can determine where someone is in, in this, um, in the process of wanting to change a behavior, right? From, from someone who is, who's really resistant to it, like, nope, no problem here. I don't see what the big deal is. Leave me alone on one end of the spectrum to, I absolutely want to change this behavior now, right? Of the other end of the spectrum. But most people fall somewhere in the middle there between kind of, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it, but I don't really feel like I want to act on it yet. Or, yeah, I'm pretty convinced, but I'm not sure, you know, maybe I'll start next week or week after. Or I'm looking into things. I'm researching Mm -hmm. options to change. Yeah. Or I really would like to change, but I just don't know that I can, or I'm not sure that I have the, the support or the resources to do it. So there's a whole wide spectrum of, of, of this readiness to, uh, to make that change. So Chris is talking about how that's maybe one place to start is to see where is someone um, as far as their willingness and, and readiness to make some big uh, changes to their behaviors, right, Chris? Yeah, no, for sure. So if the individual is pre-contemplative, and sometimes we see that, maybe a family member who's encouraging them to reach out for therapy or counseling, um, sometimes exploring or gathering information, of course, and seeing how it is impacting their life, really trying to understand their perspective on it. Um, asking a lot of open-ended questions, right? So often uh, pre-contemplative um, clients or don't necessarily want to be lectured on these things, right? But a question I often ask is, if it's not an issue now, when will you know when it is an issue? And you often get really good answers. So... And you want to try to quantify that as much as you can. Um, so when it's happening a certain amount of times a week, so the frequency or the duration or the intensity of the self-destructive behavior. And uh, usually uh, in circumstances like this, it's a matter of time until they kind of cross that line. And when they do, then it tends to increase their motivation to reach out and, and, and get some support or get some further support, or at least be open to some techniques or strategies. Sounds good. Okay, so assessing where they are in the first place. So let's say someone is kind of further down the road and they're like, you know what? 
I don't like cutting any longer, or I'm kind of tired of my eating, binge eating at times, or, you know, I'm sick and tired of uh, waking up with a hangover every day. Um, what, what happens next? What do you think we recommend for people at that point? When they're pretty ready, when they're at the ready to make a change point. Another idea that popped in my mind too. Maybe a combination of, yeah. but. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Oh, go ahead, Chris, go. Am I freezing? Joe. Go, Joe, go, Joe, go, Joe, go, Joe, go, 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 Yeah, just trying to brainstorm and introduce other ways of coping. Um, you know, the more ideas for coping, the better to give more options. We had a colleague of Chris Brooke and I who talked about how if you only have two coping strategies, one being the self-destructive behavior and one other one that might be healthier, there's a 50% chance you're going to choose that destructive one. So we want to introduce as many different coping skills as we can um, and, and encourage the client to practice these other coping skills, even if it doesn't seem natural or they still have that desire to go back to the other one to just um, keep trying to practice those other ones. I feel like that would be part. Oh. Thanks you saying be part of it. Yes. Oh. That's okay. okay. So we 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 talk about a lot about coping skills. What what are some examples of those though? I mean, we as therapists we toss around that term a lot, but like um what what are coping skills? What's our examples of coping skills? Okay. So, um coping skills are really anything that's going to help cope with the, the emotional state that you're in to help regulate that emotion. Um, and that's going to be different for everyone. I mean, anything could really be a coping skill because it's whatever you're doing to manage the emotion. So it could be going for a walk or a run or other forms of exercise. You could uh, graze anatomy watchers. They dance a lot, right? That's <laughs> their coping skill when they put their music on and do a little jig or you could do some art or reading or have a bath or uh, jump rope or do a puzzle or play a game or wash the dishes or, or, call, a friend, or, or call a friend or yeah, yeah. journal. You could, I mean, there's, we, we really want, there's so many, so many different things. And so I think a part of doing the work is being open to trying those things and knowing that it's going to take a while. So my clients that gauge, engage in self-destructive behavior, um, we go through this and create like a little plan for them to do, which will take about half an hour. But, um, and it sounds like a long time, but when I ask, well, how long is it from start to finish of your behavior? And they're like, I don't know, an hour or more. I'm like, yeah. So we're actually saving time by trying other things for half an hour, right? It's just the risk of, is it going to work or not? Okay. Yeah. All right. Great, great uh, definition examples of uh, coping there, Brooke. And and really, I think maybe someone who's who's interested in this um, could spend some time thinking about well, what are the things that that I've used to to cope? Um, you know, what what are healthy healthy ways for me to cope? Am I am I a walker? Am I a dancer? Am I a journaler? What, whatever those things might be, and then make those things as available as possible. Right. Um, I think you also have to befriend your feelings. How, how do you befriend your feelings? You know, like, I know that's kind of like a weird counselor therapisty phrase, but um, in doing this, you like other be hit, be self-destructive behaviors are trying to get you out of the emotional state that you're in. But part of doing this work again is to do, to just embrace that feeling that you're in and not be scared of it and lean into it opposed to running away from it. Um, and, and that might happen, honestly, by doing these other coping strategies or coping skills that will help you move through that negative emotion rather than stunting it, interrupting it with a self-destructive behavior, in which case then it's going to build up for like tomorrow or the next day. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Good point. A few techniques I've been using as of late are um, just trying to ground yourself in that moment. So reading out loud 
I don't know, not reading quietly or read out loud somehow focuses your mind in a unique kind of way. Throwing on a song and focusing on one instrument within that song or the lyrics can do it. Splashing cold water in your face and it uh, helps trigger something called your vagal nerve and will calm your body down. I don't know how they figure that one out. But... It's called the scuba diver effect. Oh, there we go. Yeah, you're supposed to submerse your face in icy cold water for 30 seconds. Wow, oh, 30 not seconds. Longer, not oh. longer than that, though. That sounds scary yeah. to me. For sure. Brian, uh, last last week, I think it was, you brought up a really good point, and that is, you know, why? The, why are these behaviors happening, right? And maybe going a little deeper to yeah. maybe some of those causes, which we talked about earlier uh, in this podcast, is if there is some trauma there, maybe it's uh, worth reaching out and maybe exploring that, right? Yeah, that's my... That's my bias. I've kind of a big fan of kind of going to the root and trying to figure out why and what the, what it's all about. Um, I I found a lot of uh, a lot of people get a lot of relief when they kind of come to grips with kind of, kind of face to face with what it is that uh, maybe at the root of this stuff. You know, whether it was abuse or a message from the past, whatever it might be, something they experienced or witnessed, um, when they can kind of realize, oh wait okay, that was something that was something that happened to me that wasn't something that was my fault or that was something that, uh, you know, I don't need to punish myself for that because it wasn't my fault, you know? That could be very liberating for people. And uh, that's that could be some really rewarding work to do. I bet. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we got getting to the root. We got these kind of good behavioral things and coping things to do. Um, would you, I mean, we talk a lot about kind of pro-social behavior and that sort of thing. What about, I mean, a lot of times when, it, when you think of the self-destructive behaviors, I think of people kind of really kind of turning inward and kind of turning, um, kind of pulling away and then doing this stuff that might be harmful for themselves. People aren't usually cutting in public, right? They're usually definitely pulled away. So I, I think and of the- secretive. Often it, these behaviors yes. are very secretive. Yes, yes. A lot of the cutting can be, you know, people are, are concealing it with clothes or, or that sort of thing too, right? So I just think that the power of, of connecting with people is so crucial with, uh, with issues like this, right? As far as, as, as part of the, the coping mechanisms people might have. That uh, that really trying to to resist that urge to isolate and pull away and actually try to reach out for help instead of uh, kind of going to your own devices here might be a pretty big part of the solution, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would think so. Big time. Yes, for sure. Social relational beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you reach out? Let's say you're in that spot, you know, and you're like, gosh, I really just want to kind of hurt myself. I really feel like being self-destructive. Just reach out and say, "Hey, I, I just need someone to talk to." You say, "Hey, I'm I'm hurting right now. What what, what was I'm having a tough day? Mm -hmm. Are you available? You can share how much you want or not share however much you want, right? That's mm -hmm. for you. Um, if it's a really hard one, if you have someone that knows that you're struggling, like of your self-destructive behavior and they're in your corner, um, but maybe you don't know how to bring it up. Sometimes I suggest a code word or a code phrase, you know, sure. even easier with uh, icons these days. So you can send whatever your danger icon or I, yeah. need, a, I need a friend icon. Uh, and that person will just know. There's also the crisis line. There is a crisis yeah. hotline for sure. I feel the need to bring up one other point here, um, which is that there is, there's this the, the whole field of, of study, and you guys are probably much more familiar with this than, than me, which is the um, non-suicidal self-injury, right? So, yeah. so we're talking about self-destructive behaviors. We're not talking about suicidality here. And a lot of people, I know, and I've heard for a lot of people, who you know, non non therapists and some therapists as well are, are concerned about. Well, if someone is hurting themselves, does that mean that they are suicidal? And then we have to take kind of the more extreme measures and 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 maybe you know go for hospitalization that sort of thing. Where 
the truth is that a lot of people who are, are doing self-destructive behaviors are not suicidal at all. This is more about the, the, the reasons we were talking about earlier about just wanting to feel something or kind of the self-punishment. It's risky, but it's not necessarily suicidal. So <laughs> I think we should talk about that for at least a second here, because I think there are, are many people who don't reach out for help because they're afraid of how it might be perceived by the caregiver or the other person, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So how do you guys talk about that with your clients or, or help them navigate that sort of struggle? Yes, I may be, I may be doing some superficial cutting, but that doesn't mean I'm suicidal, that, that sort of thing. If that comes up for me, yeah, in regards to more of the cutting, especially with teenagers um, or yeah, or kids in terms of, helping the caregiver understand, well, doing a risk assessment or at least exploring why they're doing that self-destructive behavior, right? Making sure if there is a bigger risk or not, um, but also just um, exploring their purpose for doing that or what it's doing for them. But it's also educating the caregivers that, yeah, it is scary to hear that your child is self-harming, but it doesn't mean they necessarily want to die, right? They might be cutting to cope or for some other reason not to take their own life. So I think it's it's good to, once you know that from a client to educate and be like, this is something to just be mindful of, but this is what they're depending on. Um, our aim is to kind of introduce more coping, but right now this is what the purpose is. And I know it's scary, but let's find a way of creating communication and not shaming the individual and making them feel like they regretted telling you this and things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thought. That's a great thought. And, and again, I, I think it's just important to, to reiterate to people that, that therapists, especially therapists who work with this, but therapists in general will know that not all self-destructive behavior is suicidal. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, you know, there's a distinction there and that, that, you know, we're trained to assess for suicidality and that's a, that's a whole different uh, it's a different protocol that, mm -hmm. uh, that we would follow. Are there exceptions? Yeah. I was just saying, are there some exceptions there and uh, where there might be some intentionality or there might be a connection there? Well, one of the things that, that we're trained to do, and I don't want to turn this into a legal and ethical discussion, yeah. but it's, uh, but you know, we're trained to assess for suicidality, which means does a person have, an intent do they do they do they wish to be dead you know is that something they yeah. want do they have a plan that uh that goes along with that you know what's the plan to actually kill themselves and what um uh and do they have the means to do it and then all along the way you're assessing um you know how severe all of these are and and what uh what the risk is right and if someone is at a place where they are sincerely wanting to do that and they have the means and they have a plan um then we have to take action to, to protect them and to take care of them mm -hmm. and again i didn't don't want to turn this into a suicidality talk we can do that another time but uh, i just think, think it's important because if we're talking about someone with self-destructive behaviors reaching out for help to other people i think they need to feel safe enough to know that that's not going to um result in some overreaction and you know hospitalization or something like that right mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad that you're differentiating yeah i just think it's it's important to do mm -hmm. so all right that felt a little luxury there at the end but uh big I topic it's, it's a, a big it's a heavy topic but it's an important topic so a little bit to more of a serious conversation this go but Let's, can we end on a, people on a, are experiencing it. So can we end on a little bit of hope here, Brooke, uh, as we're talking about themes and trends of hope and hopelessness? I mean, yeah. have, have you from California? Here have you go. You, well, I'm wondering if you and Joe have been able to see people make some really good progress with their coping skills and their, and their working through underlying issues and all that stuff to, to get to a place where self and self-destructive behavior is just not so much of a problem for them. Is that something that, uh, that you've witnessed? Yes. Joanna? I agree. Yes, definitely. Christopher? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Ryan? Yes, I have too. I have too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, met, I guess I'm hoping for more than a one word answer, but you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, 
I think it's good to know that these are some some challenging uh, issues that people face sometimes, and that uh, that there is hope that people can work through some of these things. It takes some time. It's not doesn't usually switch off overnight, especially if it's something that's been a habit for someone for a long time. But yeah. that uh, that oftentimes they can develop these coping wow. skills and and find a way to to manage these emotions in in ways that are much more satisfying and, and don't have to carry, you know. The, the risk and the danger and the shame along with it. Yeah, Absolutely. they don't have to do it alone. I think it's um, sharing that with someone and and um, that could be a big, a big help in the right direction, so. Right on. Yeah. yeah. Always back to the whole idea of neuroplasticity, right? Or, or tobogganing analogy, where more times you go down, uh, well, first time down the hill in fresh snow, you don't go very quickly. The more times you go down that track, you pick up more and more speed. So that's kind of the way the brain works as well. So we develop these habits. And so sometimes people, they feel that uh, these self-destructive behaviors are their go-to ways of coping, but we can change that with trying to go to the root and trying to introduce some other techniques yeah. and strategies. We can develop those new pathways and it may be very tough at first, but based on everything we know about science, it is possible to forge those new connections. So it is a profound message of hope. Beautifully so. put, Chris, thank you. Well done. Beautifully so on put. A, on a random non-self-injurious destructive note as we end, I assume we are ending soon? Yes. What was the poster? What was the poster? What uh, poster is being hung up? Uh, my son has watched The Office all the way through, I think three times during uh, this lockdown. And That's a good he, show. He got a poster about, uh, I think, a, a kind of a, a movie within a show called uh, Threat Level Midnight. That was from the from the office, and so he's got a poster up there as well. So, oh, it's great. Good yeah, taste. Yes. Joanna's Joanna's friend Fiona loves the office, and she had an office uh, theme party. Oh, so Joanna showed up. This is what a few years ago. Is her? Yeah, uh, yeah, three years ago. As Dwight. And oh, nice. she somehow oh. pulled it off perfectly. I can't um, I, I see kinda, it. Oh uh, my goodness, you gotta send you gotta send Ryan. You gotta send the photo. photo. I can't it's I can't. so good. I can separate Chris the two. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I don't know what it is. you're you're absolutely a Pam and uh I could maybe no. maybe some others, but uh but Dwight, come on. No, I think He's... I'm truly more Dwight than a Pam, but I just really, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was able to just be a, my just resting face and just sitting there and Chris would look over and be like, stop it. <laughs> like oh. you're just freaking me out. Yeah, yeah I had that whole outfit. It was a lot of fun. So oh, yeah, Chris dressed great. as a paperclip. Yeah. Oh, perfect. I did. Yeah, I yeah. helped him make it the costume. We made it out of like a, a hose. Like it was a giant... <laughs> paper clip it was not a small paper clip it was quite heavy took the office theme literally <laughs> i love it well all right you guys we'll be ready for our, our our halloween costumes in several months that's it for now uh like and subscribe at apple google podbean audible spotify or youtube send us your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com come to the mental health boot camp com and use your promo code of time for growth time for growth for 20 percent off you can also gift it to somebody if you'd like visit us on facebook or instagram tell a friend or two have a good night everybody Bye.